Welcome to Keep the Faith Ministry. Keep the Faith brings you timely messages with in-depth spiritual analysis of current events in light of Bible prophecy so you can prepare for the coming of Jesus. Listen to what the news won't tell you. Here is another important message for our times. This is Pastor Hal Mayer. Dear friends, welcome to Keep the Faith Ministry once again. I believe we have come to a time when God's true people are going to be marginalized by their own brethren. I know that is a shocking statement to some, but perhaps it is true. Most of God's people have their proverbial heads buried in the proverbial sand. They don't want to know what's going to happen in the future, and they aren't paying attention. But my friends, we're coming up on the loud cry. We're coming up on the judgments of God. We're coming up on the latter rain, and they are not even interested in receiving it. They think it's fanaticism, and they will label it as legalism. I can hardly believe that we have come to such a time as this. But before we go on, let me thank you for your prayers for Keep the Faith Ministry. We are living in a most difficult and delicate time. We need modern John the Baptist to bring a more pointed testimony. The more they rage against God's last generation truth, the more my soul is stirred with a desire to proclaim it more fully. I'm convinced that it is not a time for soft sermons. It is not a time for mamby-pamby preaching. It is not a time to be politically correct. And thank you for your support for Keep the Faith. Please pray that more people will become subscribers to our message on CD and on the Internet. Please pray that God will provide funding to do what we need to do. Today there are very few pastors that are really willing to preach the three angels' messages, especially the third angel's message that warns people to disassociate from the false doctrines and teachings of Rome and her fallen daughters. Thank God for those who are, and there are some. But my friends, as younger pastors take over from the older ones, we have a problem. They are being trained to preach evangelical sermons, superficial homilies, and to avoid preaching the distinctive message God has given his last generation to give to the world. In fact, they are being taught how to demonize those who still teach the three angels' messages. They are being taught to oppose those who are defending it. They are mostly older people now. They are seniors and no longer have the strongest voices. There will be those who will be faithful to God's truth. We need young men and women who are not afraid of their faces. We need young men and women who will live the message and share it with their secular friends and acquaintances, as well as their fellow church members and evangelical friends. They will be ridiculed, accused, misrepresented, and pressured, but they will not fail. Those who are coordinating the systematic assault on those that still teach the three angels' messages and the concept of the remnant and the last generation doctrines have no idea that they are fighting God. They do not realize that they have begun a prophetic movement, identified as the last assault on truth before the close of probation. They are trying to make of none effect the testimony of the true Spirit of God. This is the last deception of Satan. They want you to think that we don't have to worry about the coming of Christ in the near future. They want you to think that we're not going to have a Sunday law anytime soon or that we're going to see the fulfillment of the clear statements in the book The Great Controversy about how the end-time events are going to happen. They want you to sleep right through it, my friends. 
So as we begin our study today, we had better take a look at what the Spirit saith to the churches. To begin with, let us pray. Our dear Father in heaven, we see the final assault brewing. It is being prepared, but you are more prepared than they are. You're prepared for every emergency. I pray that we will have the spiritual eyesight to understand and know that all things are coming to an end, and soon. Father in heaven, give us overcoming power so that we can defeat the enemy at every turn. Please show us how to live for Jesus amid the dark times ahead, when gross darkness shall cover the people. We want to be partakers of the latter rain, so we need purity. We need Jesus to live in us. And I pray that we will have the grace we need to deepen our walk with Christ and live for him and with him. Thank you for being with us today as we study your word. In Jesus' name, amen. My friends, please turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew 24. We are very familiar with some of this chapter, but today I'm going to focus on a part of it that is not so familiar. I would like us to think about what Jesus instructs us to do. He does not want us to miss anything, so he has warned us to do something. Have a look at verses 32 to 51. Pay attention to Jesus' words about knowledge. Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender, he putteth forth leaves. Ye know that summer is nigh. So how do you know that summer is nigh? Well, you notice the new shoots, the new leaves, the small tender branches. There are signs that summer is near, aren't there? I recently went out to my garden after being away for quite some time. I noticed new leaves on the berry bushes. I saw the healthy plants glistening in the sunshine. I have knowledge, and that knowledge tells me that we are going to have a good crop of blackberries. Now read verse 33. So likewise ye, when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near even at the doors. What knowledge is this Jesus is referring to? He's talking about the knowledge that the second coming of Christ is near. Verse 31 tells us that. Here it is. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Jesus is trying to tell us that when we see the events that are taking place in the world around us fulfilling Bible prophecy, we know that we're very close and that we should prepare for the time of trouble or the great tribulation spoken of in verses 21 and 22. Listen to these words carefully. But then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved, but for the elect's sake those days shall be shortened. Friends, I want to be one of those elect, don't you? I want to be so close to Jesus that there's nothing separating me from his love and power. I need his power. You need his power. Otherwise, we'll not be overcomers and we'll not receive the latter rain. And we will not be the elect. We will lose our way and fight the message. I don't want to fight God's message, do you? Yet it seems today that so many are now teaching that we are not near the end of time. The worship laws spoken of in Revelation 13 are not going to happen anytime soon. And we don't have to think about the coming crisis and persecution. So, don't think about it. Relax. Jesus loves you and forgives you. You don't have to be perfect, even in Christ. Let me point out to you that Jesus is very concerned about your attitude toward the Ten Commandments. Because it reveals that your, what your attitude is toward Christ. 
He wants you to live by his commandments. He wants you to give up all sin. He wants you to have victory over every sin. But the prevailing teaching today is that we can't overcome sin, even with Christ living in you. That is a teaching that makes Christ weak and ineffective, my friends. That's a powerless Christ. It's actually teaching that the enemy is stronger than Christ. The amazing thing about the gospel is that it teaches that not only does Christ forgive us and cleanse us, but he also empowers us. Our hearts, when united to his heart, become invincible against all the fiery darts of the enemy, Ephesians 6.16. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. It is faith in the power of Christ, not in our own power, that gives us power over the enemy and all, notice I said all, of his temptations. Satan is not more powerful than Christ, even in my own life. The only way Satan can access me is if I let him. If Christ can't save me to the uttermost, Hebrews 7.25, then he isn't Christ. To the uttermost means that he can even deal with my little habitual evils that I allow in my life. It's not just that he can save the man in the gutter, the worst sinner, or the drug addict, or the prostitute. It also means that he can save me from my socially acceptable sins, my little addictions, my fiery tongue, and can strengthen every weakness. This is the Christ we serve, my friends. Jesus loves us so much that he's willing to send all heaven to defeat the enemy in your life and mine, if he has to. The problem is that we so often don't want that close of a relationship to Jesus. We don't want a heart relationship with the one who can be closer to us than a brother or a mother or a father. Listen to this powerful statement found in Testimonies for the Church, volume 6, page 91. It is by conformity to the will of God in our words, our deportment, our character, that we prove our connection to him. Whenever one renounces sin, which is the transgression of the law, his life will be brought into conformity to the law, into perfect obedience. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. The light of the word carefully studied, the voice of conscience, the strivings of the Spirit produce in the heart genuine love for Christ, who gave himself a whole sacrifice to redeem the whole person, body, soul, and spirit. And love is manifested in obedience. The line of demarcation will be plain and distinct between those who love God and keep his commandments, and those who love him not and disregard his precepts. Notice that it's love for Christ that brings perfect obedience to his law. It is by Christ in us that transforms our characters into his likeness, and we obey him in perfect obedience. Friends, this is not impossible to achieve. Every promise of Christ is empowering in the battle with the enemy. Now let us read verse 34 of Matthew 24. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. What generation is he talking about? He is talking about the last generation, my friends. His whole discourse is about last day events. So he has to be talking about us not those who were living in his day, the ones to whom he spoke these words. He was talking about what we are to look for and how to understand the signs of the times. He explained them clearly for us to understand. But he now says that the generation on whom these things fall will not pass away 
until all the prophecies are fulfilled and all of the enemy's temptations are overcome. That doesn't mean that you aren't going to die or that I'm not going to die. He is saying that there will always be those who believe and teach the living truth right up until Jesus comes, especially in the last generation. And that generation will not pass that lives through the last days until all is done. Perhaps it should be pointed out that there have often been end-time preachers who spoke about the end of the world. Noah was one of those. So was Enoch, who spoke directly of the second coming of Christ as recorded in the book of Jude. The generation that believes the words of Jesus, the words of the apostles, and the words of the prophets will not end until the end. The enemy may launch an assault on the truth of God. The enemy may use even those who are respected and revered in God's church. The enemy may even find ways to infiltrate among God's people and try to discourage or distract them from their message. But Christ is saying that he will always have people who believe and teach a powerful Christ that is able to keep you from falling, Jude 24. Christ will always have people who will stand firm on the teachings of Scripture and give ear and heed the commandments of God through the faith of Jesus. Those that are teaching that it is impossible to overcome sin are teaching the opposite of Scripture. They are teaching a weak and powerless Christ. And friends, this is just what the enemy wants you to think, that Christ is unable to keep you from falling into temptation, even the little temptations. Yes, he can help you beat alcohol, he can help you beat drugs, but he wants to help you beat your carnal tongue, your appetite, your coffee and chocolates and fish and chicken and movies and porn and all your secret sins. The enemy wants you to give up the good fight. So his message will be that you don't have to fight. Anyone who tells you that you can't be perfect and you can't obey Christ completely should be utterly suspect that they are not teaching the true gospel. What does Jesus mean when he uses the term overcometh anyway? You know, he uses it over and over again in the book of Revelation. In fact, he uses the term in Revelation 2 and 3 to emphasize the point. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God, Revelation 2, 7. He that overcometh will not be hurt of the second death, Revelation 2, 11. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. Revelation 2.17 And he that overcometh, and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. Revelation 2 verse 26 He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. But I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Revelation 3, verse 5. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out. And I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from God. And I will write upon him my new name. Revelation 3, verse 12. To him that overcometh, Will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my Father in his throne? Revelation 3.21 These promises are wonderful. They're a great motivation to live for Jesus, aren't they? Then to add good measure, in Revelation 21 verse 7, he adds yet another promise. 
He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Does Jesus mean what he says? There's no doubt that he's talking about overcoming sin here. There's no doubt that he's talking about living by the power of Christ in your life. You cannot overcome sin without Christ. You will never be an overcomer unless you believe that Jesus has the power to throw the enemy out of your life. Now let us read verse 35 and of Matthew 24. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. You see, my friends, faith is actually relying on the words of Jesus to do what they say they are going to do. If Jesus says he is able to keep you from falling, Jude 24, doesn't he mean what he says? These words are from the apostle and brother of Jesus himself, Jude 1, inspired and recorded for our understanding and experience. If Jesus says he is able to keep you from falling, don't you think that he will give you the experience of overcoming every temptation and sin? Let me tell you, overcoming is a powerful experience. Why would he say it if it wasn't true? The Bible only teaches that which is true, doesn't it? Or is Jesus just playing games with us? Jesus' words will sustain you against the enemy. Learn them, memorize them, weaponize them against all the evil agencies that play on your heart and emotions and get you to do things that you know are wrong. When a temptation comes, pray for Christ to renew his power in your life and then throw the weapon of Scripture at the enemy. It will hit him right where it counts, like the stone that David threw at Goliath. Now listen to what Jesus says on verse 36. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. He is saying that we cannot know the day and the hour, but we can know that it is near based on the signs of the times, the events that are unfolding in the world around us. You know, my friends, I think it's interesting that there are those who are on both sides of the issue. There are some who say that we don't have to worry about the end time being very near. A Sunday law isn't in the works, and we can't overcome all sin, and therefore don't have to think about the end of time as described in the scriptures and in the book Great Controversy. On the other hand, there are those who are saying that the close of probation for God's people is on a certain date. We're seeing the enemy use even good men to fight the truth of God on both sides of the same issue. In Mark 13, verse 33, the apostle repeats and enlarges it a bit. Take ye heed, says Mark, watch and pray, for ye know not when the time is. The enemy is doing everything he can to keep you distracted, to keep you entertained, to keep you so busy that you neglect to spend time with Jesus and learn of him in his word. But we are to watch and pray that we enter not into temptation, Matthew 26, 41. This does not sound like we are going to ignore fulfilling Bible prophecy and understand the end times. We are called in this last generation to especially pay attention to the things that have to do with the coming of the Lord. Again, Jesus mentions the signs of the times. Listen to him in verse 37. But as the days of Noah were, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. God's last generation who proclaimed the three angels' messages and the fourth angel of Revelation 18, come out of her, my people, will be treated much like they treated Noah in the days before the flood. 
They ridiculed him. They mocked him. They said how impossible it was for a flood to come upon the earth. They had their scientists out there proclaiming how scientifically it was foolish to think a flood was coming. They tried to say that Noah was a deluded old man and that the end of the world was not imminent. They tried to get him to give up and stop his preaching and stop building the ark. The same is true today. They will try to make you look like a fool and get you to give up telling people about the coming of Jesus, the coming worship laws, and, of course, the message of the three angels. Then they had their liberal pastors come out and oppose Noah by proclaiming that God is so loving that he will not destroy the earth with a flood. They tried to tell the people that Noah was a false prophet and that his view of the last generation of his day was false. The end of the world is not coming, they said. We are not the last generation. We are not to think that we are somehow a special people with a special message. What makes you think you're so special, Noah? They paraded out their theologians and seminary professors who gave academic credibility to the argument that God's character is so full of love that he would not destroy even the wicked. They used very subtle and deceptive theological arguments to dissuade the people from accepting Noah's prediction. And you know what? They were largely successful. Do you think the same could be true of our time? And what happened? The days before the flood were just like every other day. Not a cloud on the sky, not the slightest change in the climate. It was still in its pristine beauty right up until the day that the floods came and washed them all away. God cleansed that wicked generation. What makes us think that he will not do similar to ours, especially when things look like it is entirely impossible. Now let us read verses 40 and 41. Then shall two be in the field, the one shall be taken and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken and the other left. Jesus is trying to tell us that life will go on just as it always has. The righteous and the wicked will live together until the harvest. They could be in the same church. They could be in the same home. One is destroyed, the other is left. What? How is this? In the days of Noah, almost all the people on the planet were destroyed by the overwhelming surprise. They were taken away. Only Noah and his family were left. They were saved. This is not about some secret rapture that takes some away and leaves others behind. This is a far more devastating event. Those that are taken are those that are destroyed by the judgments of God, just like in the days of Noah. Those that are left are those that are saved out of it, like Noah and his family. Now we come to our main point today. We are to do something. We are not just to sit in idle expectancy. We are to be active. Listen to this from Testimonies for the Church, Volume 5, page 452. God has revealed what is to take place in the last days that his people may be prepared to stand against the tempest of opposition and wrath. Those who have been warned of the events before them are not to sit in calm expectation of the coming storm, comforting themselves that the Lord will shelter his faithful ones in the day of trouble. We are to be as men waiting for their Lord, not in idle expectancy, but in earnest work with unwavering faith. It is no time now to allow our minds to be engrossed with things of minor importance. While men are sleeping, Satan is actively arranging matters so that the Lord's people may not have mercy or justice. 
The Sunday movement is now making its way in darkness. The leaders are concealing the true issue, and many who unite in the movement do not themselves see whither the undercurrent is tending. Its professions are mild and apparently Christian, but when it shall speak, it will reveal the spirit of the dragon. It is our duty to do all in our power to avert the threatened danger. You see, my friends, we're not just to sit idly by waiting for something to happen. We are to work for souls. Study our Bibles and share the truth with others. Notice that the enemy is arranging matters so that you will not have mercy or justice, and he's doing it in darkness and secrecy, concealing the truth while men are sleeping. If the enemy is preparing for a total onslaught against God's people in darkness and secrecy, wouldn't you expect that just at the time when it is all about to happen, he would send his agents among God's true people and try to dissuade them from teaching the principles that made them what they are? Wouldn't he try to diminish the value of the Sabbath in their minds? Wouldn't he try to bring them into conflict and confusion over false doctrine and over unbiblical practices like women's ordination? Wouldn't he want to get them arguing and fighting with each other over other and various distractions? He'll do anything to keep you from knowing and proclaiming the truth, won't he? So what are we to do? Well, listen to verse 42 of Matthew 24. Watch ye therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. Oh, so we're to watch. Wouldn't you think that at the very time when God's people should be watching the signs of the times and praying earnestly for Christ to rule their lives, at the very time when the signs of the coming of Christ are fulfilling before our eyes, that the enemy would try to get people to turn away from them? And hasn't he been successful at that? We don't know when our Lord will come, but we are to pay attention to the signs that tell us that his coming is near. And if we know those signs, we will know how close we are. When we are watching, if we are doing what Jesus told us to do, we are not going to be saying that worship laws aren't coming. We're not going to be saying and arguing against the principles of the last generation, the remnant, the sanctuary in heaven, and the investigative judgment, because it is patently obvious that the signs are fulfilling. If you're paying attention, it is clear that every detail of the end times that the Bible has told us to expect is being fulfilled in our time, just as it has been predicted. There may be those that try to tell us that our clear biblical interpretation on Revelation 13 is not going to happen as we have thought. Friends, they're just telling you to go to sleep and not watch. How many people are going to be lost because they heeded the words of these wicked servants who tried to discourage you from believing the truth? Now verse 43. But know this, that if the good man of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched, and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. This verse has several levels. First, it is easy to be awake and watching if the thief tells you when he's coming to break in and steal. But does the thief do that? No, he comes at a time when least expected. He comes at a time when the attention of the householder is on other things. He comes at a time when the householder is looking the other way. If you're going to protect your house, you have to be watching constantly. If you have valuables that you need to protect, you'd better watch them constantly, too. Listen to this from The Great Controversy, page 508. When Christians choose the society of the ungodly and unbelieving, they expose themselves to temptation. Satan conceals himself from view and stealthily draws his deceptive covering over their eyes. 
They cannot see that such company is calculated to do them harm, and while all the time assimilating to the world in character, words, and actions, they are becoming more and more blinded. Do you see that any slackness and any folding of the hands to rest will lead you to ruin by deception? Your eyes will be covered, and you will not see how the enemy has ensnared you. You will then fight the message of truth. A second level of this is that the house of the church has been infiltrated. While people aren't watching, and while they're sleeping in Laodicean slumber, the enemy has come in among them and has eventually gained credibility, and now he has placed his agents in many positions of responsibility. They are charged with the task of telling the people that they don't have to overcome their sins. They are given the task of telling God's people that they don't have anything to worry about and that the end is not near and that they can just trust Jesus to forgive their sins and that's it. It's taking them back to the holy place experience, my friends. If you're in the holy place, you're not in the most holy place. That's where we need to be right now in our experience. There's no need to overcome in this way of thinking since you can't be perfect anyway. There's no need to plead with Christ to come into your life and change you, because you can't, and He can't. There's no need to follow all of Scripture. This is deadly, my friends. Now listen to verse 44. Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. In such an hour as ye think not. What was Jesus saying? He's saying that the very time when you are not paying attention, at the very time when you've lulled yourself to sleep, at the very time when you think it is most unlikely that Jesus will come, that is the very time that he will come. In other words, it will be a surprise for those who are not watching the signs of the times and studying their Bibles. If we heed those who say that you don't have to concern yourself with Bible prophecy, with end-time events, and watch them unfold, you will be caught by surprise. If you let yourself fall into a spiritual slumber so that you are happy to hear smooth things, so that you are willing to listen to nice little superficial homilies, you'll be caught by a devastating surprise. If you let yourself become satisfied with the evangelical teachings of the fallen daughters of Babylon, you will be left without protection when the judgments of God shall fall. Isaiah 30 verses 9 and 10 says this, that this is a rebellious people, lying children, children that will not hear the law of the Lord, which say to the seers, See not, and to the prophets, Prophesy not unto us right things, speak unto us smooth things, prophesy deceits. Here is a powerful statement from Gospel Workers, page 85. Never was there greater need of faithful warnings and reproofs and close straight dealing than at this very time. Satan has come down with great power, knowing that his time is short. He is flooding the world with pleasing fables, and the people of God love to have smooth things spoken to them. Sin and iniquity are not abhorred. It was shown that God's people must make more firm, determined efforts to press back the incoming darkness. The close work of the Spirit of God is needed now as never before. Stupidity must be shaken off. We must arouse from the lethargy that will prove our destruction unless we resist it. Satan has a powerful controlling influence upon minds. Preachers and people are in danger of being found upon the side of the powers of darkness. There is no such thing now as a neutral position. We are all decidedly for the right or decidedly for the wrong. 
Christ said, He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. Matthew 12, verse 30. Friends, we need to heed the words of Jesus, don't we? He did not say them to entertain us. He did not say them because he was just trying to play a little game with us. He said them because he meant them. In such an hour as ye think not. These words tell us that we better never think that his coming isn't in the near future. Yes, there are delays to our human reckoning, but this is to teach us that we are not to rely on human reasoning. There are voices among us today that are telling us that instead of moving toward a Sunday law, the end-time circumstances that lead up to it, the whole society is moving in the other direction. People are becoming less interested in Sunday worship and less interested in religion altogether. These voices want you to stop thinking about fulfilling prophecy in current events. They want you to stop thinking that the end is near and that the time of trouble is not far off. But what I'm seeing is that while it is true that society is moving away from religiosity and even a Sunday law, the elements of severe persecution of God's people are still being put in place. Everything from torture in secret prisons to unlimited detention without a trial, from trial by tribunal instead of trial by jury of peers, to financial controls on those designated as extremists and even massive surveillance, is now already in place. And there's hardly a whimper of protest. I mean, they have resurrected the principles of the Inquisition in modern society. Do you think they aren't getting ready to use it? Many of these provisions have come as a means of fighting terrorism. But the definitions of terrorism expand over time. Anyone who is labeled an extremist is going to be treated like the terrorists, right down to the no-buy, no-sell law predicted in Revelation 13, verse 17, by freezing their assets. Friends, I believe the teachings of Revelation 13, as we have known them, are going to happen. I believe that the evidence that preparations are, in fact, being made by the enemy who is stealthily stealing into our ranks and putting us to sleep by smooth things, even as he's gutting the U.S. Constitution and making new laws designed to fight terrorism. Think about it a little. Wouldn't the enemy want to create circumstances that look like society is going away from religion rather than moving toward it? Wouldn't the enemy encourage all manner of wickedness and evil just so that God's people will think that the book the great controversy isn't really correct? Wouldn't he want you to think that it will be a long, long time until these things are being fulfilled? Of course he would. Friends, that's exactly what he's done. He knows that when great disasters come upon the world, that human nature will naturally think that these are the judgments of God and that he is punishing the world or the nation for its iniquities. That is more than evident. Friends, you can see how the popular and influential evangelical preachers and megachurch pastors are pressing in on the President of the United States right now. They're working to overturn years of liberal and leftist progress. They're working quietly to change the courts, the military, and even the fundamental thinking of millions of Americans. They're working hand-in-hand -hand with the bishops who are guiding them and teaching them how to do politics. Don't you think that when a few major and overwhelming natural disasters hit that they will not turn away from their secularism and tolerance of evil and turn to God, at least in a superficial way? Just look at what happened after 9-11. The churches were crowded for a while, at least. Just look at what happened when there was that missile scare in Hawaii a few years ago, when a technician pushed the wrong button at the change of shift. 
people panicked, and even atheists were praying in public and, and in panic also. It will be very easy for the enemy to stir up souls of wicked men and women to make them sound religious and very committed to Christ. They will pray. They will earnestly plead for righteousness. They will ask the nation to enforce Sunday worship so that those secular people will get some religion and convert to Christ. All it takes is a few natural disasters once all the elements of coercion and persecution are in place. It's not going to be difficult at all. The enemy knows that most people think Sunday is the day of worship. Most people are convinced that Sunday is now the right day to go to church. They think Sunday is God's day of rest. So it will be natural for them to advocate Sunday worship laws. Let us read verse 45. Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household, to give them meat in due season? What is that meat in due season? Friends, this is the Word of God. What is the meat? Friends, this is deep Bible knowledge and wisdom. It's not superficial teaching. It is the truth concerning righteousness by faith and how to overcome sin. I need that in my own life, and you need it in yours. We must experience it. In other words, we're, we're to let Jesus come into our lives and believe His promise to give us overcoming power to keep us from falling into any temptation. We must be faithful to teach the truth and oppose the error for all we are worth. Unless we turn from sin in our lives, though, we will never be able to do that. Now look at verse 46. Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Luke, in chapter 12, 37, actually says, Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find watching. Verily I say unto you that he shall gird himself and make them sit down to meet, and will come forth and serve them. You see, my friends, true happiness comes to us when we are doing exactly what Jesus wants us to do, feed ourselves on the word and then share it with others. Jesus says that the faithful servant will gird himself. What does this mean? It means that he will study to show himself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. 2 Timothy 2.15 he will learn the scriptures and put on the armor of the Lord. Here it is from Ephesians six, thirteen to 17 Wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The next verse says that we are to pray and watch with all perseverance. When you have on the armor of the Lord, that means you know your Bible. You love Jesus more than anything else, and you have dedicated your life to him. You obey his instructions to pray and watch with all perseverance. Your will follows his will. You submit yourself to his control in all things. That means that Jesus has come into your life by your daily invitation, and he gives you victory over the enemy. That's when you have on the whole armor of God. So, start a Bible study. Start a home fellowship. You know, you, you can do it. Just invite your neighbors over for dinner one night a week. Show them how to cook, 
vegan or plant-based food. Treat them well. They'll ask questions. And then, when the meal is over, you can invite them to the living room for a little Bible study. You can do it. Talk to them about Jesus. Tell them of His love and power. Keep it simple, but let them see that you love Jesus yourself. Make your prayer simple and sincere, and give others the opportunity to pray if they want to. God will reward you with new friends, and He will show you those who have interest in knowing more. Keep inviting new people. I have friends who do this, and they're having wonderful experiences. People caught up in sin and addictions want freedom, and they want to know God. Feed them, and they'll respond. Not everyone, of course, but those who have a soul hunger for Jesus. Now let us read verse 47. Verily I say unto you, that he shall make him ruler over all his goods. Friends, what are God's goods? His goods are the principles found in the Word of God. The more you share them with others, the more you become familiar with and master them yourself. And we need to master the Word of God, don't we? His goods become your goods. You control them in your life and in your speech so that others see them and believe. If you want to master God's goods and possess them, understand them, and be able to be a powerful witness, then share the word with others. Now let's look at verse 48 to 51. But and if that evil servant shall say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to smite his fellow servants, and to eat and drink with the drunken, the Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looketh not for him, and in an hour that he is not aware of, and shall cut him asunder, and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So those who tell us that the Lord's coming is going to be delayed, and that we don't need to understand the prophecies, and that we should be not concern ourselves with the coming time of trouble, are really doing the enemy's work. I don't care if they are in very high positions in the, in the reputable seminaries or in church leadership. They are doing the enemy's work. They are working against Christ, and they are trying to cause you to be lost. It's that simple, my friends. They may accuse you of being a fanatic or of being a legalist, but really, isn't that what they did to Noah? And what did they do to Christ? They mocked him too, even though he was the king of glory. They completely missed the boat. They were deceiving themselves into thinking that they were okay. After all, they were defending the truth. But in reality, they were crucifying the truth. And that is the way it is now. Men and women there are among us who would sacrifice all that we have stood for, all that we have taught about the remnant and the three angels' messages. They want to turn you away from the truth and turn you to fables. Notice his choice of words in that last section of Matthew 24. What do those people who teach that the Lord is delaying his coming and that we are not to expect the end time anytime soon do to those who do teach the real truth? Well, they begin to smite their fellow brethren. What does this mean? It means that they will criticize and accuse those who teach the truth about the last generation. It means that they will falsely say that they're legalists and are trying to earn their salvation. They will say that these people are heretics and must be shunned. It is already happening, my friends. It is already in operation. I recently listened to a sermon by a high-placed leader who did just that. He demonized those who believe in last-generation doctrines and the truth on righteousness by faith. It stirred my indignation. I can see where this is leading. 
I can see that it is taking us to the ecumenical movement. I can see that it will overthrow the three angels' messages of Revelation 14 and the fourth angel's message of Revelation 18. I can see that it is leading us back to Rome just like all the other churches out there. These men have no love for the last generation. It may mean that they might even turn you over to the authorities for prosecution one day. Don't think that there's going to be mercy or justice, my friends. As we close, I want to tell you that though we are living in a confusing time, we are nevertheless not left helpless. Christ will help you understand these things. He will give you an experience with himself that will strengthen you for every trial. He will give you his all-sufficient grace, which, by the way, empowers you to overcome the enemy. May God bless you and keep you in his love and care and in his word. Let us pray. Father in heaven, great is thy faithfulness and great is thy grace. Father, have mercy on us. Help us to see the truth as it is in Jesus. Help us to penetrate the darkness with the light of truth. Give us your presence and most of all, make us overcomers through your power living in us. Let every temptation fall helpless at our feet. And thank you for being such a powerful and wonderful God that can save to the uttermost all that come unto God by him. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
We hope that you've been greatly blessed by this month's message. Your prayers and gifts mean much to us. Thank you for your support. The song you've just heard is called I Gave My Life For Thee, played by Henry Higgins. It is recorded on a CD with other beautiful hymns called Day By Day. If you would like to have a copy of the CD, just send $16 postpaid to U.S. addresses to cover the cost, and we will send you one. Please mention the Day by Day CD. Our Australian listeners can order through our Victoria office at 03-5963-7011. Other international listeners should send $20 USD. The following is our monthly prophetic intelligence briefing, a feature that brings you current events in light of Bible prophecy, especially for those who love the appearing of Jesus Christ. We can see the signs of the times, telling us that we are nearing the world's great crisis. May the Lord find us faithful. Our first item this month, Reverend Graham, the gloves are off. The radical left is trying to crush all who hold to a biblical worldview. In a commentary about how the liberal media attacked Karen Pence for teaching at a Christian school, evangelical leader Franklin Graham said, The progressive left is poisoning the nation and seeking to harshly punish and completely silence those who adhere to a biblical worldview. The hostility, bias, and ridicule of biblical morality is blatant and obvious, he said. I promise that I will raise my voice each and every day against such injustice and wicked behavior. In the piece, We Must Not Remain Silent, published in the March issue of Decision magazine, Reverend Graham explains that Karen Pence, wife of Vice President Mike Pence, used to teach at an evangelical Christian school for 12 years and had decided to return to teaching at the institution. However, when the liberal press found out, they excoriated her and the school because it had the temerity to actually teach traditional Christian morality. The Emanuel Christian School in Virginia affirms traditional biblical marriage between one man and one woman with clear definitions of sexual identity according to Scripture, said the Reverend. These are the solid moral foundations that have undergirded civilizations for millennia. The Washington Post exclaimed, Karen Pence, America's second lady, is teaching at a Virginia religious school that bans LGBTQ students and employees. The BBC complained, Vice President's wife to teach at anti-LGBT school, and CNN huffed Karen Pence to teach at school that bans gay students and teachers. The liberal media focused solely on the fact that the sexual mores of the school were not aligned with the new moral mantra of the radical left, Graham said. This is the point to which we have come. The war against biblical values and those who embrace them is full on. The gloves are off, and the radical left would like to crush all who hold to a biblical worldview. Graham, the son of evangelist Billy Graham, then discussed the recent past extreme abortion law in New York, which allows abortion up to the month of birth. He also noted a proposed but failed measure in Virginia that would not only allow abortion when a pregnant woman is dilating, but also permit a baby that survives an abortion to be left to die on a table. That is infanticide, said Graham. And while followers of Jesus Christ should never resort to violence, we must do all we can to resist evil. We can't stick our heads in the sand and pretend these forces of evil are dormant, he said. They are not. And if we remain silent, then our children and grandchildren will pay a tremendous price 
for our inaction. The enemy is giving popular Christian ministers plenty of fodder for their cannons. When some of the most prominent religious leaders speak like this, how soon will they call for laws to get the nation back to God by attending church on Sunday? And while they should speak out on the moral evils of the day, they should not agitate for laws that would force worship, as that is a matter of the first four commandments and a matter of individual conscience. It will be declared that men are offending God by violating the Sunday Sabbath, and that this sin has brought calamities which will not cease until Sunday observance shall be strictly enforced, and that those who present the claims of the fourth commandment, thus destroying reverence for Sunday, are troublers of the people, preventing their restoration to divine favor and temporal prosperity. That's the Great Controversy, page 590. Next, Walt Disney Company goes all in with gay pride. The Walt Disney Company is embracing LGBT Pride Month for the first time ever and hosting a gay pride parade in its Disneyland Paris Park in France. The massive corporation has been moving toward a more liberal approach to sexual identity over the last decade, but the Magical Pride Parade, set to take place on June 1, 2019, is the first time the Disney parks have openly embraced and endorsed the shift. The event will take place right at the beginning of Global Pride Month, June, and will feature a magical march of diversity parade, reportedly involving DJs, live music, performances, and themed photo opportunities for visitors to the Disneyland Paris Park, according to QWERTY. Gay pride events in Disney parks are not new. The magical pride celebration has been an unofficial event at Disney Paris since 2014. Disney parks located in the United States, Walt Disney World in Orlando, Florida, and Disneyland in Anaheim, California, have both hosted unofficial LGBT events, including Gay Days, an unofficial weekend celebration for gay couples and same-sex parents. The first Gay Days celebration took place in the mid to late 2000s. In the late 2000s, LGBT groups also began chartering Disney cruises. Disney has been inching closer to a cultural shift over the last decade, slowly incorporating openly LGBT characters into his television shows and animated features, including an LGBT background character in Frozen. The upcoming Disney live-action film Jungle Cruise, based on the Disney Parks attraction of the same name, will feature the first openly gay character in a Disney live-action feature, though the character in question will be played by a straight actor, will embrace some unsavory stereotypes of gay culture. But the decision to make a shift in theme park operation by recognizing Disneyland Paris's Pride celebration may be driven more by profit than any commitment to social justice. Both Gay Days and the LGBT-specific cruises are major draws for Disney. Gay Days typically pull in more than 150,000 gay and lesbian visitors to Walt Disney World theme park in Florida alone, making it, according to the event's official Facebook page, one of the single largest pride-related gatherings in the world. But the Disney theme parks have until recently been less than accommodating to unofficial events, keeping gay days and other LGBT-specific celebrations mostly at arm's length. Last year, though, Disney began the process of cashing in. The Walt Disney World theme park debuted a collectible pair of gay pride rainbow-colored souvenir Mickey Mouse ears just before gay days. In Anaheim, California, Disneyland unofficially celebrated Gay Days with rainbow-themed food, including a rainbow-frosted Mickey Mouse-shaped puffed rice treat, 
and a rainbow cake, which guests could buy by the slice. When the rainbow-colored merchandise sold well at Walt Disney World, the Disney Company rolled out a similar line of items for Disneyland's celebration, including themed t-shirts, mugs, pins, and headbands. Likewise also as it was in the days of Lot, Luke 17, verse 28. Next, Chinese military steps up strike strength against U.S. and Taiwan. China's military is better equipped for strikes against the U.S. and the self-ruled island of Taiwan, according to a Pentagon report released on Friday. In its annual report to the U.S. Congress on China's military developments, the Pentagon said the People's Liberation Army, the PLA, had undergone a sweeping overhaul, expanding the capacity of its bombers to strike U.S. and allied forces and military bases in the western Pacific Ocean, including the U.S. island territory of Guam. The report also said the overhaul had improved the PLA's ability to mount air and naval attacks on Taiwan, aiming to deter the island from pursuing independence and eroding Taiwan's historical advantages in the Taiwan Strait. The changes are part of Chinese President Xi Jinping's plan to modernize the military and turn it into a world-class fighting force by 2050, backed by a U.S. $190 billion official military budget last year. PLA services and support forces continue to improve training and to acquire new capabilities for a Taiwan contingency, the report said. China's official defense budget has grown to roughly 15 times that of Taiwan, with much of it focused on developing the capability to unify Taiwan with the mainland by force. These improvements pose major challenges to Taiwan's security, although Beijing says it prefers peaceful reunification of Taiwan with the mainland, the PLA has continued to focus on developing a credible threat of force against the island and ways to counter potential third-party intervention from the United States, which has a mutual defense treaty with Taiwan. The Pentagon report also outlined the military options Beijing would take against Taiwan, ranging from an air and maritime blockade to force the island to capitulate to airstrikes and missile attacks, to a full-scale amphibious invasion of Taiwan and its offshore islands. But it said there were no signs the PLA was significantly expanding its landing ship force, which would be necessary for an amphibious attack on Taiwan. While the PLA streamlined its operations in the overhaul, it also added attack submarines and naval aircraft and created new air assault brigades to allow for land, sea, and air attack options for an invasion. However, Chang Ching, a military specialist from Taipei, based Society for Strategic Studies think tank, said the figures from the Pentagon document may be misleading since the force size and capability in peacetime may not reflect those in wartime. Any invasion operations toward Taiwan will be executed by a task force with an order of battle and force formation very different from forces during peacetime, Chang said. Taiwan had also prepared for asymmetric warfare, where one side has a much greater military force than the other, but its efforts only partially addresses Taiwan's declining defensive advantages, the report said. The United States contributes to peace, security, and stability in the Taiwan Strait by providing defense articles and services to enable Taiwan to maintain a sufficient self-defense capability, it said. Beijing has never renounced the use of force to reclaim Taiwan, saying the concept of Taiwanese independence crosses its red line, 
but an analysts and observers say a military conflict remains unlikely. However, cross-strait relations under Taiwanese President Tsai Ing-wen have come to a standstill, ostensibly over her refusal to acknowledge the 1992 consensus that there is one China. In recent months, Beijing has ramped up military drills around the island, increased diplomatic pressure to limit Taiwan's space in the international arena, and offered economic sweeteners to win support. But the escalated coercion has not shifted domestic sentiment in Taiwan in its favor, with wariness at Beijing in part responsible for catapulting Tsai and her independence-leaning Democratic People's Party to power in 2016. The U.S. maintains a robust unofficial relationship with the island, including over $15 billion in announced arms sales to Taiwan since 2010. U.S. President Donald Trump signed a National Defense Authorization Act, which includes provisions to improve Taiwan's defensive capabilities, drawing Beijing's ire. And there shall be wars and rumors of wars, Matthew 24, verse 6. Next, Iran's massive drone exercise was codenamed Towards Jerusalem. The Islamic Revolution Guards Corps Aerospace Force used a domestic version of the MQ-1 Predator drone made by U.S. manufacturer General Atomics during war games in the Persian Gulf, according to the IRGC commander Brigadier General Amir Ali Hajizeda. The MQ-1 Predator was used primarily by the United States Air Force and Central Intelligence Agency in the 1990s and 2000s in offensive operations in Afghanistan and Pakistani tribal areas. The USAF retired the Predator in 2018. According to the FARS News, Iran currently possesses the biggest collection of captured or downed American and Israeli drones, including U.S. MQ-1, MQ-9, Shadow, Scan Eagle, and RQ-170, as well as the Israeli Hermes. The exercise was named Towards Jerusalem 1 and the drones reportedly took off from bases as far as 1,000 kilometers away from the target. Here's the catch. The distance between the city of Abadan on the Iraqi border and Jerusalem is about 1,700 kilometers as the crow flies. IRGC started massive drone drills called Towards Jerusalem 1 over southern territorial waters of Persian Gulf. 50 reverse-engineered RQ-170 drones and a number of combat UAVs participate in it as well. Apparently, Iran has decided to produce a reverse-engineered version of the MQ-1, and last Thursday, the IRGC Aerospace Force flew tens of those and other reverse-engineered aerial vehicles toward a target on a small island in the Persian Gulf. The squadron of aerial vehicles included 50 Iranian versions of the RQ-170, Sentinel stealth drones and took off from bases as far as a thousand kilometers away from the operation zone to bomb the target, far as reported. Commander of the Qatam al Anbiya headquarters, Major General Ghulam Ali Rashid, told reporters that the large scale exercises with such high number of homemade drones should humiliate the enemies who want to mar his country's integrity. Iran downed the stealth RQ-170 drone in December of 2011 using electronic warfare techniques as the aircraft was flying over the Iranian city of Kashmar near the Afghan border and must have stopped being stealth that day. 
According to FARS, the Israeli drone Hermes was intercepted in 2014 by the IRGC on its way to spy above the Natanz nuclear facility in the center Ishfahan province. And there shall be wars and rumors of wars. Matthew 24, verse 6. Next, U.S. government strategy for surveillance and control of travel. In December of 2018, the White House announced that President Trump had sent Congress a classified national strategy to combat terrorist travel. Two months later, in February 2019, the White House released both this national strategy to combat terrorist travel, supposedly as signed in December of 2018 and with no indication that it had ever been classified, and a companion national strategy for aviation security, also unclassified and dated December of 2018. These two documents, together, give an overview of both the extent and the manner in which the U.S. government intends and believes that it has the authority to surveil all travelers, monitor and log all movement of persons in the United States and worldwide, and exercise administrative prior restraint over all such travel based on extrajudicial pre-crime predictions. Nowhere in either of these vision statements is there any mention of the First Amendment right of the people to peaceably assemble, the right to travel, or international human rights treaties, nor is there any mention of existing legal means for restricting movement through court orders, injunctions, or restraining orders, of judicial review, of administrative controls, or indeed of any role at all for the courts. And while these documents were signed by President Trump, they expressed goals that have been pursued by both Republican and Democratic administrations. Here are some of the main themes in these roadmaps for government action. 1. Prohibition of anonymous travel and identification of all travelers. The goal is to identify terrorists before they travel, develop and maintain equipment and technology necessary to validate passenger identities. Note that this goal extends to domestic travel and is not limited to cross-border travel. 2. Dragnet pervasive and suspicionless surveillance of all movement of persons. Collect and retain as much information as possible, especially biometric, biographic, and derogatory, but not exculpatory, information. Improve and expand the collection of suspicious travel indicators and travel patterns. Improve functionality of identity management systems and expand the collection and use of biometric, biographic, and derogatory data for vetting and screening. Domain awareness is heavily dependent on advanced information collection. Three, predictive pre-crime prior restraint and real-time control of travel. Enhance and further automate recurrent traveler vetting processes and capabilities to accurately detect terrorist movements throughout their travel life cycle. Vetting, by the way, is a euphemism for no-fly and fly decision-making. Number four, seamless integration of government surveillance and control of travel with commercial transportation infrastructure, sharing and common use of identification, biographic and biometric data for government and commercial purposes. Public and private sector entities must act in concert together as one integrated system. Domain awareness requires unprecedented cooperation and action among public and private sectors, the strategy documents say that the government should reduce burdens on the private sector, but there's no mention of reducing burdens on individuals. Five, unlimited extraterritorial jurisdiction over travel and travelers. 
Guiding principles, identify and interact terrorists as early as possible in the travel process to extend security efforts beyond the United States border. And six, globalization of U.S. travel surveillance and control models. Encourage and support efforts by foreign partners to bolster traveler screening, data collection, data analysis, and data sharing, including biometric and other traveler data, to improve capabilities to identify or detect terrorists. Seven, policy laundering through international organizations. The United States will cooperate with foreign partners to enhance international standards and best practices. This will include initiatives pursued through international organizations that include private sector participation. The United States government will also promote implementation of systems for the use of advanced passenger information, passenger name records, and biometrics. Watchlisting in this context is, as usual, a euphemism for blacklisting. How will these tools be used one day to corral or restrict the movements of God's messengers preaching the three angels' messages? Or on those who run afoul of the coming worship laws? The U.S. Constitution has been stripped of its power by these extra-constitutional laws, directives, and executive orders. We have no time to lose. The end is near. The passage from place to place to spread the truth will soon be hedged with dangers on the right hand and on the left. Everything will be placed to obstruct the way of the Lord's messengers, so that they will not be able to do that which it is possible for them to do now. Testimonies for the Church, Volume 6, page 22. Next, Harvard trying to rewrite core medical facts on gender. One of the most prestigious medical schools in the country is attempting to instill in its graduates the idea that recent societal beliefs on transgenderism and gender ideology are fact, not fiction. Harvard Medical School recently announced a change in its MD course of study over the next three years under the title The Sexual and Gender Minorities Equity Initiative. The program, according to Harvard's website, is meant to teach all students and faculty, clinicians, can become exceptionally well-equipped to provide high-quality, holistic health care for sexual and gender minority patients of all ages. The plan encompasses curriculum reform, faculty development, continuous quality assessment, and global dissemination, as well as increased efforts to recruit and support students, faculty, and staff with interest or experience in sexual and gender minority health, the school's website reads. The most powerful vehicle to affect durable, meaningful change across current and future generations of clinicians in all specialties caring for LGBTQ patients is singular education, said Ed Hundert, Dean for Medical Education at HMS. Even though the school and the faculty are proud of their efforts to engage the LGBTQ community, they have refused to comment on the planned course overhaul. The college fix reached out to several officials at the medical school for more information and did not have any response. The website also asked school officials for a copy of the initiative and clarification on which elements of the curriculum are subject to change. Again, the school did not respond. Last year, the medical school was also tight-lipped about their in-house teachings on sex and gender after the school denounced the Trump Health and Human Services Department's move to officially define sex-based on an individual's immutable biology. The school called the definition medically inaccurate, but wouldn't say why, according to the college fix. This is the second such overhaul of Harvard's MD curriculum in less than four years. Likewise also as it was in the days of Lot, Luke 17, 28. 
Next, pastor ousted after preaching that love warns. Pastor Justin Hoke had a straightforward and blunt message for the Northern California community of Wairika. The message board outside his church read, Bruce Jenner is still a man. Homosexuality is still sin. The culture may change. The Bible does not. Homosexual activists quickly gathered to protest the message, but Hoke was undeterred and made this remark during his message on January 6. We've not been left here, beloved, to hide our light under a basket, to hide our light under a bed. Love warns. It is hatred, it is selfishness which conceals the truth. It turned out to be his last sermon at Trinity Bible Presbyterian Church. He wrote on his Facebook page that the other church elder felt he could no longer allow Hoke's leadership and that all but one couple in the church would quit if he remained in the pulpit. Hoke chose to leave. Dr. Richard Land of Southern Baptist Seminary says it's a sick church. Evidently, he took a very strong and uncompromising stance on the issue of gender identity and transgenderism and homosexuality and discovered that his church had been seduced by the neo-pagan culture of California. Trinity Bible is hardly the first church to face this issue. Biblical sexuality has tripped up entire denominations, says a seminary president. The whole homosexuality transgender issue is like truth serum for the church, Land explains. Either you're going to take a biblical stance or you're going to take the culture's stance. The church sign was destroyed by LGBT activists a couple of days after Hoke delivered his sermon. According to the report by pulpitandpen.org, Hoke's Facebook page includes photos of the vandalized church sign. Likewise also, as it was in the days of Lot, Luke 17, 28. Unfortunately, our time is up. Remember, there are more prophetic intelligence briefings on our website at ktfnews.com. It's been a great pleasure to spend this time with you. I hope you have been encouraged to live for Jesus, for we are near the end. Remember that God has a plan for your life and that right now you can make a new start with Jesus. Thank you for your prayers and support. And until next time, may God bless and keep you and your family in His loving and protecting care. Keep the faith.